for joining us for another episode of Lunchtime Launch Time, where we chat with CEOs, entrepreneurs, marketers, and industry leaders about their journey to go to market and launch products. Today, we're lucky to be joined by the co-founders of Healthy Hooch Kombucha and the functional beverage group, Will and Shoshana Routley. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast for Lunchtime Launch Time. We'd love to just hear a bit more about yourselves and your company to start with. Well, thanks for having us. Um, I'm Shoshana. Hey, I'm Will. I'm, yeah, glad to be here. And we're, uh, yeah, we're the owners of the Functional Beverage Group. Um, it was recently amalgamated from our two in-house brands, uh, Healthy Hooch Kombucha and Thrive Remedies. Uh, but now we offer uh, services as well. Oh, excellent. And can you tell me a bit more about the services that you offer? Yeah, we offer contract packaging service and services and white label services, but it's all encompassing. So if anyone needs branding help, um, you know, choosing enclosures and bottle types and recipe development, we also offer those services as well. Yeah, it was kind of an interesting sort of next step utilizing the equipment that we had. Um, and we thought the whole private label thing, people would come to you with their product and say, please just make this for me according to my specs and exactly what I want. But we realized they actually come and just say, um, I want this drink. Can you figure it out for me? <laughs> so we have to start to consult and work with them and say, well, what type of bottle and what type of carbonation and work on the recipe. And it's, it's more involved. So it actually became kind of interesting next step for the business. Yeah. Well, and we, we aren't like a lot of products on the shelves. They are co-packed. Uh, but we started with kombucha and we started producing ourselves. So we, you know, over time, over the last four and a half years, we, we bought equipment and we were building out our ma manufacturing side of things. And to maximize the use of that equipment, we were like, okay, well, maybe we should start to offer services to other companies that want to bring natural and organic products to the market. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing way to wrap up your experience and actually be able to leverage that into new kind of markets as well. How did you get started with your original brand for kombucha? It's well, it's actually kind of a funny story. Will and I were both professional cyclists before we started the company. And cool. we, we basically retired four and a half years ago, basically, about five years ago now, actually and decided to start a business. But while we were on the road in California, well, we saw kombucha is very, very popular in the States. It's, mm. It was popular, you know, it started to become popular 15 to 20 years ago. And while we were racing in Oregon, we saw it on tap at a 7-Eleven. And at that point, that was probably 10 years ago now, I was blown away and was like, why is kombucha not popular in BC? Yeah, it was still more or less unheard of at home. Yeah. And here you are filling growlers at 7-Eleven in yeah. Oregon. You're like, wow, this, this is obviously coming north of the border. Yeah. And we both were so interested in business. We were racing our bikes. We were constantly like, you know, scheming and coming up with different ideas and always wanted to go down that entrepreneurial route at some point. Yeah. Um, but we loved kombucha. Mm -hmm. We'd been drinking kombucha for years. And, you know, it just sort of popped, popped into my head. I was like, well, why don't, why isn't it available? readily available at home. Like, I just didn't understand how it could be so popular, not that far <laughs> across the border and not be popular at home. So that's kind of when the seed was planted that maybe we should start a kombucha company when we retire. And then fast forward, you know, seven years or whatever. Yeah, and it's a bit of a bigger undertaking than uh, we anticipated. Oh, <laughs> I don't yeah. think if you have to be a little bit naive, otherwise you probably wouldn't have done it. We weren't a little <laughs> bit naive, we were fully naive. <laughs> And we're extremely ambitious. So we never wanted to start just like a really, really 
tiny company that, you know, we were the only two working on the business. We wanted to grow something bigger and, and that's where we were very naive. For as better to, or for worse, yeah. that's where we're at. Yeah. As, you hear yeah. that a lot from a lot of founders that if you weren't naive, you probably wouldn't go into it because you wouldn't know all of the challenges that you would have to face and all of the setbacks, but that naivety kind of pushes you in there. And then once you're in, you just deal with it, right? Exactly. Yeah, There's no turning back. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And then I guess uh, in terms of your backgrounds, uh, you had mentioned professional cycling, but not necessarily having an entrepreneurial background. Can you maybe chat a bit about what that transition was like from starting a business and any of the challenges you had while you were building? You know, looking at other people's stories and seeing where they came from and how people came from, you know, business degrees in university and how they had mentors and how, you know, they were sort of like guided in the right direction. We didn't have any of that. Um, we were, in a sense, business owners because we were based on contracts. You know, you have to sell yourself. You are the business. You have to show results and what you can do and what you can do for a team. So in that sense, there it does translate but when it comes to like a cpg product or getting something that people actually consume we didn't have really any guidance so we did go in just with what we knew in sport and that we had a strong work ethic and that we loved healthy natural products and that passion is what sort of got us into the business that's an amazing story. And I really don't think that you need to have that formalized education. This is coming from me with an MBA as well. Um, but I think the best learning you can do is on the job hands on. And that's where you're ultimately going to make it or break it and learn everything because everything in real life is different anyways than what you study. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, I think some education background would be helpful. A show did yes. some course at university. I did a few courses at university just here and there, but nothing beyond you know, maybe if it all adds up a year worth of school, but I think you have to just be tenacious and be willing to educate yourself. So I think yes. we more or less in that first year read every article on the internet related <laughs> to, <laughs> um, definitely production focused. Cause we were, you know, we took a product oriented approach for the, especially for the first year we did zero marketing, zero sales. We had nothing but focus on learning how to make a great product. Mm -hmm. um, so it was an intensive, intensive program. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that it is a little bit different. Like a lot of people will just get the product out to market and it's good enough. Mm. But we started, we really wanted to have a premium top-notch organic product that would be comparable to the best sellers on the shelf. So that was our goal is make an amazing tasting and product that's also very healthful. Yeah, so maybe you could share a bit about your product development process. How did you go about doing that? Maybe checking in with customers uh, and building that ideal product well you know coincidentally like i i actually have a very sensitive palate i didn't realize that it would be a benefit to starting a business to starting this business um because you know when i was younger i was always really picky like i could taste mold on bread before you could see it and my parents thought i was crazy and you know will even thought like oh like are you sure like i don't know i don't taste anything oh i remember i cut her <laughs> You know, you, you slice up an apple into pieces and maybe there's a little bruise. So you throw that bad spot away and she's eating this apple slice and this apple tastes funny. It tastes like mold. And it was a perfectly crisp apple. And I'm thinking this doesn't make any sense. And then I had that realization like, wait, there was a tiny little spot on the other side of the apple that I threw in the garbage, but she could taste it throughout the whole thing. 
And wow. it was this realization like, oh, wow, this is like, you're really, really sensitive to these days. Like, this is going to help us. We're making beverages. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it did help because, you know, I could taste like little intricate flavors in the kombucha that I knew either, you know, the general public would either like or dislike. And unfortunately, you know, the bad, the bad consumer reviews, they sort of hold. So you really don't want a lot of those. And we knew that. So we just, the biggest thing was finding the equipment to have a consistent product. I think that's the biggest challenge with a fermented beverage is getting that sort of consistent flavor and how you maintain that. So again, Wilson, we did a ton of research. We did on like what equipment was going to help us maintain a consistent flavor you know what controls we needed to put in place to get that consistent fermentation yeah i mean we also we did a lot of um tours and just sort of casual consultation we we toured beer breweries we talked to other kombucha brewers wineries um you know you go on a wine tour with friends but we're actually in the back examining all the equipment and the sizes and the like surface area to volume ratio of the tanks and taking notes just quietly um and of course you put product up to friends and family and you listen to customers in your trial, but, but consistency, that was the big one mm-hmm. that, that you touched on. And we found like a lot of these micro breweries, you know, they're everywhere now, it's super popular and they'll do an amazing beer, but it's a one-off seasonal. And the reason is because they can't replicate it. It's really hard to hit consistent product. And if you can be very consistent, you've done a really good job. That's one of the bigger challenges with fermentation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was, that was the focus. And I think it paid off long-term for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it, it just rings true to what we want. Like, you know, I want to go to the shelf and if I'm going to buy a certain flavor of a product, I want it to be the same every time. I don't mm-hmm. want it to be, you just don't want to, you don't want to notice the differences if you're buying the same product. Yeah. That's exactly how McDonald's has been so successful globally, right? You have totally. the exact same yes. taste and you know what you're going to get. So even if you're in a, a country where you don't know what the other food's going to taste like, you know, what McDonald's will taste like. Yeah. I mean, so many companies, Starbucks, like that's why people love it. They're like, I can go, I can get the most detailed drink on the planet. And I know it's going to be the same anywhere in the world. It's yeah, there is, there's something to it for sure. Yeah. Awesome. And so now that you've got the product in place, how did you go about figuring out how to do marketing or starting your marketing? You know, marketing has probably been one of the biggest challenges. We started with grassroots marketing. So doing farmers markets and getting it out there locally. Um, and now we're sort of diving into the bigger world of, of grocery and realizing that you have to do all of these promos. You have to be on board with all these retailers and what they want you to do. Um, to be honest, the biggest chunk of marketing goes into those promotions. So getting it on the shelf, the retailers putting it on sale, having these sales with all of your retailers planned out throughout the year, that is probably the majority of our marketing right now. Um, We do have Instagram, we're dabbling into TikTok like everyone is right now, Um, Facebook obviously, and then websites and doing blogs and stuff to sort of educate people on our products, especially with our newer product Thrive Remedies. Um, So that's where we are with marketing. We haven't, we don't have a massive budget when you're doing both the manufacturing side and everything else that comes with the business, um, your marketing budget definitely isn't as big as if you were just a branding and marketing company. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's an area that we need to grow substantially yes. in the next year because like often manufacturing companies, you don't even know they exist. They're just quietly working away in the factory, turning out products. Um, 
you know, you try to go find someone to produce something for you. And some of them barely have a website, even in today's <laughs> day and age. You can just see like, maybe there's a phone number online somewhere and you just call the guy, but little do you know, <laughs> they're turning out tens of millions of dollars of product and they're just busy running their machinery. And so we need to be able to, to do that efficiently, but also we have great products and we need to market them. And that's, that's on our long to-do list for the coming year to really step up that game. Mm -hmm. Well, and being able to contract pack affords you the budget to market mm -hmm. your own in-house products. So that was also some motiv motivation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we have the product. <laughs> now we need to share it. Yeah, exactly. How do you get it <laughs> yeah. out there? I mean, podcasts like yours, this is also another great way. It, it doesn't cost us anything. So it's just a great way to get people to hear about our story and to get it out there. So I mean, really appreciate that you're doing this and that you're interviewing us. Yeah, I mean, I love learning about new companies. And I mean, same stories that I hear again with other entrepreneurs, they focus on product development, and a lot of them budget gets eaten up by that, then marketing is whatever's left over. And so, you know, working on that organic growth is also challenging, because you've got a coal company to run, and then where do you kind of split your time off into doing marketing, until you hire a marketing person. Um, which is why kind of like we started Prosh Marketing also is because people just didn't have the time and, you know, had so many other focuses, but still wanted to grow slowly um, or grow more aggressively too. Um, but then all of these learnings that you've done um, now have taken you now into your second product. What was it like doing a second product? Did you find that it was much easier or um, same challenges? Well, like you said, the learning. So we realized that kombuchas in the cold chain. So it needs to be on a reefer truck and then it needs to be in the cooler section. And those sections are very limited and they're tight. So getting shelf space for kombucha has been a huge challenge. So we wanted to create another healthful product. And iced tea was one of those things that we thought, you know, we already have such great suppliers. We have really good ingredients. Why don't we make a natural iced tea? And, but we wanted to be something more than just a nice tea. We're like, we wanted to be innovative. And I've always been someone who is like dabbling in different herbs and, and testing it on myself and looking for ways to be a little bit healthier and to have like, you know, that edge. So adaptogens were something that we did a lot of research on and started to use adaptogens in our, in our teas for Thrive Remedies. So we formulated these recipes with these sort of medicinal and healthful herbs. So you're not just getting a typical iced tea. It's a sugar-free certified organic iced tea with wellness herbs. So they target anything from calming to reducing stress, to recovery for a workout, to immunity boosting sort of um, herbs that help with those ailments, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was quite the process, um, putting together something that was super helpful and innovative, but also what we had learned, like she said, with the cold chain earning, that was a big deal. So it, it worked in that now Thrive is actually getting listings much faster. Kombucha is hyper competitive and there's not enough fridge space. So it's hard to actually get it on the shelf. But then of course the next round of learning comes and you realize like, this is amazing. We're getting into hundreds of stores, like way faster than the kombucha, but then you realize there's a reason the refrigerated shelf space is at such a premium because it's the fastest selling section of the store. Mm -hmm, <laughs> so yes. it does so much volume. So then you're like, okay, this is awesome, but you, you have to be in more stores because the, the grocery aisle doesn't sell the same, <clears throat> same volume. So there was 
yeah, there was that learning curve. Um, and then of course the bigger lessons come with listing fees. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So a whole, a whole nother round of learning, but, um, it's, it's neat having two different products in two different sections of the store and dealing with different buyers. Um, mm. So you're just expanding your network. So it's, yeah, it's all part of the growth. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm really passionate about our new product. Like I love our new product. Uh, we've put multiple adaptogens in each remedy and we really have formulated the recipes so that those adaptogens complement one another. Like we have done so much research a lot of work went into this. Yeah, like we have a friend who's a doctor and she went to, like she has resources for all of these backed studies on these herbs and, you know, yeah, a lot of like, a lot of time went into these <laughs> these teas. So I just- There's there's a lot of passion in there. Yeah. And, and it's, it's funny, we had staff away the last two weeks. So I was physically out there brewing batches and I hadn't hands-on brewed them for a couple of months. And I came and I was talking to Sean, I was yeah. like, you know, we really put a lot of ingredients into Thrive. Like this is ridiculous. I'm measuring out all the ingredients. Like we put a substantial amount of, there's astragalus, ashwagandha, lavender, like all these herbs going into this one flavor. And like, holy smokes, like, were we crazy? Did we do too much? But then it's like, no, that's that's the <laughs> that's, point. Like it's authentic. You get what you pay for. It's not just like a paying lip service to this, yes. this little, you know, one health ingredient. Yeah. Oh, and that's why we put the milligrams on the bottle because I wanted, if I was a consumer going and looking at this product and going and looking at multiple beverages with these sort of health benefits, I want to know how much is in there. Exactly. You, know, yeah. you, don't, you don't see mm. that. You, you know, yeah, okay, you have adaptogens, but how, how much? much? <laughs> yeah, so speaking of the packaging, I Googled your products earlier and your packaging is beautiful. I love your labeling. Um, I wondered, how did you get to that point? Did you try out different pieces or how do you even communicate all of these different pieces in one small label? You know, I actually designed Healthy Hooch and I designed Thrive. So I, I love, so I love recipe development and I love <laughs> branding and packaging and I'm very creative. So I, I taught myself how to use Adobe Illustrator when initially, when I started with Healthy Hooch, I drew it out on paper and then had it digitized by like a fiber artist. Um, and then I, as we moved on, it was like, I started to have to make flyers and do all of these marketing things. And, and I was using Canva and it just wasn't enough for me. So then I started using Adobe Illustrator and then I realized like, oh, I can start to make logos this way. And that's how I came to make Thrive. So, I mean, it takes hours. Like you spend hours on the computer, like just, and I'm not as fast because you know, you're learning. I'm not, I'm not a graphic designer or I wasn't, I am now. <laughs> But it, it took a lot longer, but I have the idea in my my head and I, I know the way I want it to look. I just need to get it there. So it takes time. And yeah. I love that you did it yourself. And so this is just a lesson to all of our other founders is you don't have to pay $50,000 to a big branding company to get a fancy logo um, because you could do it yourself and it could look amazing. Um, but you just have to teach yourself the skills and be persistent and, you know, really go after it yourself, um, or even just get some assistance, Fiverr, Upwork. There are a lot of like really budget-friendly options that yeah. can help you get stuff done and just refine things that you have. Um, and you don't have to go for like the Cadillac, especially when you start. Did you test your logo or packaging out? Tested it the hard way. And yes. there's, a, there's a few cases of printed labels that we, we chose to deviate from. Mm -hmm. Um, so try not to go too crazy and buy hundreds of thousands of labels if you're not sure, but there's definitely a few thousand labels that we're not using. So there were some variations mm -hmm. 
and and our logos like our our logos have sort of changed and adapted over the years even thrive i've already gone through like two sort of like renditions two or three renditions of the the label and then you sort of have to cater it like if you're making it for the canadian market if you're or if you're making it for the u.s market so you're always kind of having to micro adjust um so that's just a process and then like you said i love how you said that you can do it on your own you definitely can you may not be able to use adobe illustrator and jump right in and do it but you can draw it out you can use these fiber artists to get what you're looking for and you can kind of come very close to what you need and then as you grow you can adjust you can adapt like you don't have to stick with the same logo it can slightly alter as you grow yeah i'll give you a story of my own at prosh marketing so i'm a visual artist um, and i'm an abstract painter but not a digital artist and so uh, I had a vision for the logo and so I drew it out and the first few years it, this was the logo that I made myself and then eventually I, I hired a designer and we went through a whole rebranding process and we're at what we are now but the first few years even myself uh, it was just something that I made um, and even though I'm a marketing company you know I didn't go out and spend crazy time on marketing it was something that I bootstrapped myself and then eventually I evolved just like you and and got to a place that now it's a much more professional logo that, you know, it's been tested with some clients and they've given us their feedback, but yeah, you can start small and grow from there too. Exactly. Exactly. It's a great. I, way I think you have to, I mean, ultimately you can teach yourself almost anything. And as an entrepreneur, you have to wear many different hats. Um, and, and you have to start somewhere. So there are stories where people just write a business plan and raise this truckload of money and hire the best of the best for everything. But that's not most of us. Most of us mm -hmm. have to figure out how to be very, very budget conscious and bootstrap things. And, and if it's something like your whole brand identity, that's a big part of your business. So it's worth spending a bit of time to educate yourself and learn and, and do a little bit of that yourself. Mm -hmm. um, why would you think someone else can really understand like who you are and what it is you're trying, like what message you're trying to convey. That's a hard thing to, to contract out, especially in the early days, because you're still figuring that out for yourself. Mm -hmm. I think it does help if you have mentors that are in branding and marketing. Um, you know, if I were to look back, like naturally, I just knew how the branding, how I wanted the branding to turn out. But having that whole story aspect, I was kind of lucky that it just, it did work out. I think just innately, I knew I wanted it to go this direction, but I don't think that's comes to everyone. And I think learning, you know, creating your brand around your story. So like write down what your story is, what you're trying to convey through your product and then create your logo because having all those aspects will help clearly define what that's going to look like. And I don't think no one told me that in the beginning, it worked out that like, you know, healthy huge kombucha has a clean aesthetic. Like it's transparent. That's what we wanted for our company. We want people to know what we put in our product, who we are and you know, what our values are. And it can, it comes through our branding, but I wasn't told that, you know, you should have that vision, have those values and then put that into the artistic you know, rendition of your, of your logo. But I think having, having that, being told that, being shared that sort of wisdom really helps to create a clear brand. Uh -huh. 
another challenge I think a lot of people have with the branding is they want the logo to do everything. The logo or the name needs to say so many different things. Uh, whereas, you know, in reality, you have many different touch points that can say all of these things. And the logo is just that introduction uh, to that story. But yeah, definitely having a story backing that builds a more robust brand that allows you to do so much more with it. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So then now that you've got the brand, uh, what would you say your biggest challenge from a marketing perspective has been? I mean, the budget, you know, it's, it's really hard to quantify what marketing does for the actual sales. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the biggest challenge is you don't really know how much of the marketing is influencing your sales or how much of your actual sales group is influencing for sales, if that makes sense. I'd say conveying the message accurately as well as a challenge. Like we, our products are, are very premium and unique, but to try to sell in mainstream channels, you go to the store and they're priced competitively. So from a pricing strategy, the consumer might not know that it's a better product. It's, mm -hmm. this is five bucks, that's five bucks, what's the difference? But this one has substantially more ingredients. So to utilize marketing channels to educate on just what it is that you're getting in the bottle, um, because it is very unique, it is very premium. Um, so that's probably something that we need to think about in the coming year. Mm -hmm. I think it's hard to find the time as well, like for us to share our story and our values, because I think that rings with a lot of consumers. They wanna hear the founders or hear the story of the company to know who they're buying from. Um, getting that story out there, like Will and I, like I, I think we're pretty modest. Like I don't like to talk about myself all the time. I don't like to like boast. And I think that almost hinders your ability to get your story out there because you just don't feel the need to <laughs> like, I don't know how to describe it, but maybe you hold back a little bit. You, you don't want to sound cocky or conceited or anything. And, and we're not, cause we think we're just, you know, working hard working just like hard. anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you love your products so much. You want the product to also speak for itself sometimes. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so that is that that is the challenge, especially in today's market where everything is shared. Yeah, it, it can definitely be a challenge to get the story out, especially when you are still building the business, because there's so much stuff from an infrastructure standpoint that you need to do. Like, well, you just mentioned that you were out actually doing some brewing the other day, right? Like, you just have so many things that you need to cover, um, and then marketing generally gets added to the end. And especially like, I guess, on the retail side, like you were mentioning, when you have so many products just sitting next to each other, it all comes down to brand. And then brand marketing, as you mentioned, Shoshana, is so hard to quantify. It's at the top end of the funnel. So how do you quantify your ROI on that? That's something actually we've found a lot of our clients have uh, a challenge with is everyone wants to focus on the bottom end of the funnel, which is the sales part, because you know your direct ROI on sales kind of tactics like promotions and things like that. But spending money on the brand, especially when you have very limited dollars is very scary because you don't know if it's actually gonna give you a ROI. And actually what we've found is the companies that do spend money on the brand obviously are the people who have the more long-term longevity because the um, brand spend actually allows people to create that preference and come back and then they have to spend less money in marketing overall on the bottom end of the funnel. Mm -hmm. But it's a catch-22 when you have limited budget and you really want to show ROI, how do you do that, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. Where is that starting point and what, at what threshold do you have you know, sufficient budget to 
to focus on the brand more because mm-hmm. yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, the biggest thing is it, you, someone's passing by the shelf and you get that split second and the, the brand is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And it's also just getting your products on the shelves, you know, so it, it is, it is really challenging, you know, budgeting where, where the budget goes, especially grocery is such a difficult world with all the listing fees from everything to like distribution, shipping, you know, yeah. Yeah, we have a heavy, it's a heavy product. So it's expensive to move around. Mm -hmm. So that's a consideration. And yeah, I mean, we did, we moved this last winter to a new space. So yeah, we're in that, um, that stage we're being pulled in 20 different directions. We're still doing renovations, filling bottles because staff were away this week. The two of us were physically filling bottles for (laughs) 12 hours yesterday, Uh, (laughs) just jumping in on the line. Um, running the machine, doing maintenance, all these things, and then run back in and do actual work. Do a podcast. On the biz- yeah, do a podcast. <laughs> Before we run out and go load up a pallet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's it's hard to uh, to focus. And and that's the thing about marketing. You need strategy and you need some focus and you need to think longer term. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a, a typical challenge when you're in the early stages and you're growing quickly and you're kind of hyperactive and not focused because there are too many things to do every day. Oh boy, business. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also nice to see though the couple, like the pair of you doing business together though. I mean, a lot of the times when we talk to entrepreneurs, they find the journey kind of bo- like isolating or lonely. Um, and I've met a number of like uh, entrepreneurs who are couples actually and teams working together. My parents also founded a business together. Um, so it, I love to see the, the teamwork here. How do you guys find it working together? Actually, both our parents have worked together quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, that's true. Both sets of our parents. So maybe we had a little bit of an example there, like off and on over the years in different endeavors. Um, oh, well, we I, work really well together. Oh, we work. Yeah, it's it's a great partnership. Like, well, I mean, it's nice. We, we split it up completely. I'm more the creative side and Will deals with a lot of the logistics and sort of all the engineering and everything that the back end that goes into procuring the equipment, learning how to use the equipment, setting up. Uh, manufacturing space that that works and 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 that has a lot of good flow and yeah he's so we we split up the work really well and we work really well together um but it's funny like I can now that when you say that there are founders that do this on their own like I can I can't imagine doing this on my own like thank god because we spend all of our time together like we don't have time for anything else Mm -hmm. (laughs) so having someone else is I, I don't, th- I don't think I could do it without a partner. Like, it's just, you need that person. Like when you're having an off day, like they sort of like elevate you and, and vice versa. Yeah. Um, it's like climbing a mountain where someone is tired or struggling and the other person has to prop them up and help them because like your survival depends on it. <laughs> and you kind of feel <laughs> like that. Um, and no, if, yeah, if one of us was just doing it, like if the show was just working as much on her own, it would, I would just probably end up resenting you and just wouldn't be able to handle like we do nothing we have no life all you do is work and you're always committed to this. And there's always another issue you have to deal with but you're both in it so you both realize like we've kind of made this choice together mm-hmm. and we have to get through it <laughs> um and unfortunately yeah we're not gonna take the day off go ride our mountain bikes we're probably gonna work all day and work late but you know it's it's toward a goal yes. and i think that's where the sport background comes in it's all about goals yeah. and so that's what keeps you going it's just you focus on the goal and you're making steps towards it and that's what gets you 
moving every day. And when your partner is staying out late till like nine or 10 PM, you know, brewing a batch of tea, you can't really get mad at him because you're like, well, he's working on your, he's working on your business too. Yeah. <laughs> That's your tea. Yeah. I love that. And same if I'm like doing something online and I'm really focused and you know, he, he can understand that too. So sort of you're, you're <laughs> plugged into the computer, just going and going. Oh man, close that thing up already. <laughs> <laughs> That's so nice though, that you have each other. Cause I know like the support system on, from an entrepreneurship perspective is really important for whether you have like a, someone, even who's not in the business, who's supporting you mentors, advisors, and all of that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, quite a, quite an isolating journey. Like you said, yeah, and so now you guys have got a bunch of experience, launched two brands, started consulting. Can you maybe chat a bit about some of the um, other brands that you're consulting with? Well, we're doing several products for grocery. Um, so it's actually their grocery store brands. Oh, cool. Um, which is great because it's um, it's growing a lot. Like most mainstream groceries trying to do more of their own house brand. So there's an opportunity there. Um, but it's, it's challenging because you're working with a lot of different perspectives in different groups. So you'll initially probably talk to the buyer, but then they'll, they'll bring in a, a marketing firm or a design agency. And somehow we kind of get involved in that. Um, so you're communicating with their agency and then back to the buyer again. So you end up becoming half of the design team mm -hmm. <laughs> just sort of indirectly. Um, it's an, it's a very interesting world. Like you, you learn a lot, like, with some of the bigger retailers, you're realizing like, oh, like we have to pay for their design agency to make the label. Yeah, so we end up <laughs> taking know? a lot of ownership of their brand um, because we're part of that design, part of that recipe development, procuring yeah. the you know the bottle choice, everything. Often um, now we have meetings this week actually with more like private brands, and it's exciting to start mm -hmm. diving into that more. But it's the same thing. There really ends up being a lot of consultation on the actual tangible good because someone kind of has in their head, I want. You know whatever is this this sparkling drink in this can and then you look at it and you're like but how do you get a ton of ginger sediment in there do you want that or do you not want that do you want that filtered out um do you want the bitterness of the sediment or do you just want like the clean spiciness if that's the case we need to completely filter it and just take the liquid but it costs more money and or use an extract or, or exactly or an extra. so you end up really diving into every detail the recipe the ingredients what type of package um and even yeah like the branding um you know, we, we use metallic uh, finish on Thrive. That's really expensive. So if someone doesn't anticipate that, um, mm -hmm. that changes their label choice. So it's- You have to do all the research for the customer. Yeah. <laughs> so it ends up being a lot of, yeah, it, it, it takes a lot of time, even if it is just, you, you think it doesn't because they're coming to you just to make the product, they're going to stick their label on it. But it's so much more than that. Yeah, there's no, I don't think, um, sort of cookie cutter, just off the shelf option. Mm -hmm. Initially, that's yeah. what we hope, and that's what customers think. And, and I'm just going to do it this way, the same as someone else has done it. But you realize, no, it, it has to be customized every single time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so based on that, if you had any advice for someone who's trying to break in to the beverage industry, what would be your advice? I would say get it co-packed. Start, yeah. start your business. Get it co-packed. I mean, the reason that we didn't is because you can't get kombucha. When we started, you could not get kombucha co-packed the way we wanted it. 
Um, no, I don't there, think it was an option. I don't we were even looking at this six years ago and started four and a half, five years ago. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't even an option. But even if you could, the flavor that we wanted, like to get a specific flavor, you can't do that through a cool packer with kombucha. It's not like a lemonade. You can just add more lemon or you can just add more mm -hmm. strawberry. It's the fermentation is such a key part of it. So that's why we didn't go that, down that route. But if you do want to create a beverage or you do want to create a food product, get the recipe and get it co-packed because then you can get it out to market and see how it does. And the proof is in the pudding. If it sells well, your budget increases, maybe you can go into manufacturing or maybe you just continue to go down that co-packer. Yeah, maybe never go into it because you, no matter what it is, manufacturing, you'll grossly underestimate the scope. Yes. Um, and the other big one, I think anyone trying to get into it is just understand the, the size and the scope. Um, like what would be considered a small batch is pretty big. Like we can do very small batches for people in the broad scheme of things in this industry, mm -hmm. but like 5,000 liters of, of something, if you want it to be carbonated is small. So if you put that into cans, that's 14,000 cans. And that's you want, you want to start with three flavors. So your first batch off the cuff is 45,000 cans. Um, and that's deemed small, very small. <laughs> uh -huh. so it's, yeah. It's not, uh, it's not, um, easy to just buy a couple hundred cans or a couple hundred bottles and fill them up. Um, well, I think that's why people start making it on their own as well. Like they start filling their own bottles or whatever. Um, but if you believe in your product, if you believe in your recipe, if you, if, if you know in your heart that it's going to do well, just spend the money, get it co-packed and get it on the shelves and get it moving as quickly as possible. The mm -hmm. it moves quickly. It does. If move something's very a trend, you'll, if you're thinking about it, there's 20 other people thinking about it. Exactly. <laughs> That's amazing advice. Uh, all right, well, that's all the questions I have for you. Other than uh, how can people find out more about your company and more about your beverages? So Thrive Remedies is actually available across Canada. Um, we're in probably close to four, maybe a little over 400 stores now, uh, but we're listing with Loblaws in the East uh, in August. So you'll be able to get it at a lot of different places, but online we list all of our locations. So drinkthriveremedies.com and healthyhoochkombucha.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to seeing your journey and I'm going to go get some in the store. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, thanks thank so you much. so much. Thank you so much for having us. This is great. What a great conversation today. In this episode, Will and Shoshana shared how they identified opportunities and developed products to fill a gap they saw in the beverage market. Without a formal business education, they learned a lot on the job, like the importance of developing a consistent product in the food and beverage space. Like many entrepreneurs faced with challenges, they rolled up their sleeves and have been able to develop some great expertise that they can now share with retailers in creating white label products or other upcoming entrepreneurs through the Functional Beverage Group. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Lunchtime Launchtime and subscribe to our podcast for more interesting stories from other founders. Have a great week.